Hey everybody, welcome to another episode of MTG Rants. I'm your host, Tan and Grace, and I'm joined by Ross Merriam, and we're both a little under the weather. Ross a little worse than me. He's got a cough. I've got a little bit of sore throat. Neither one of us has COVID, thank God, because we both just got home from DreamHack Atlanta. Yeah, uh, so... Yeah, I honestly, yesterday, we're recording this on, on Wednesday, I got home Monday evening, tested Tuesday, mm-hmm. and I was expecting to be positive, even though I didn't have super heavy symptoms. Yeah, It was just that my, I had had a cold after Philly, tested when I came back last week from that, from the SCG, was negative, and the cold was subsiding all week, so I'm like, great, like that, you know, I'll be fine for this weekend, and then it sort of picked up a little bit on Monday on the drive back and I didn't feel as good yesterday either. And that's when I thought like, Oh, this is not just the same cold. Uh, so I probably just recaught, you know, a cold from the, uh, con crud. As people yeah, like basically. To call it. Yeah. Um, so I, I, at this point that that's, you know, what I'm assuming happened, but certainly, uh, you know, w- welcome negative tests there. I was, mm-hmm. I was happy to have. So, uh, yeah, definitely feel a lot better today after just resting two weeks of <coughs> of long travel. Excuse me. Uh, yeah, we're gonna apologize ahead of time. There'll, there'll probably be some coughs on the on the episode. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, you know, this was you know for Philly, I was there Thursday to Monday. This one, I was also Thursday to Monday. Same. So uh, you know, two longer trips back to back. I was <laughs> I was pretty beat. So. Yeah, I was gonna say uh, I was pretty beat overall for the weekend as well the the travel was a little rough on me uh, just because i i haven't i don't know what it is but especially when i'm traveling lately i'm just not sleeping great you know what i mean i'm getting like four or five hours maybe in a night it happened i did get one night of like seven seven and a half hours in atlanta and like i think you could see it if you like look at me like each each individual day there's a day where i was just like crisper cleaner than the other days yeah. and you're like yeah i'm just more well rested there's a day where I seem a little more jittery. It's because I was so, I was so, t- and you know about this about me, how little actual caffeine I intake uh, versus like the average American. And like that day I was, I was feeling very draggy. So I had, I think four sips of coffee, maybe like five. And I'm, I'm saying that because like, that's how little I had. And I was going a hundred miles an hour. Like you could, I was in my mind before any time I was on camera, I was like, slow down, take a deep breath, like just slow down. And even then, like, it's still hard because I talk fast as it is. And if you put that kind of caffeine into me, I'm going to go, I'm going to go ham. <laughs> yeah. Uh, uh, go I, I could see that. I actually had bad indigestion. Like, fr- it was Friday night into Saturday. Slept horribly. Uh, I think that's part of it for me, by the way. What? I think that's part of why my sleeping is so bad is, A, my eating has been horrible. You know, with, like, fab worlds and this. Like, I normally don't eat, you know, fast food or that I have or just like restaurant food so often and like we're just doing it you know three day three times a day you know because like you know they provide us food and you know I'm having stuff like holla guys or you know chipotle and stuff like it's not like that food's bad but when you're not putting that into your system all the time it's gonna affect you more than normal and then like I had a couple drinks while we were there like and I mean a couple like as in like I had like one or two on the weekend but like I am a lightweight now Ross I have not drank this year yeah, I'm aware. But, uh, <laughs> but yeah, I think that's affecting my sleep too. You know, if I had like, well, it was also my birthday on Sunday. And so we had a few, we had a few drinks, you know, to celebrate or whatever on the weekend. And people were like, you know, I had like shots for the first time, I think this year. You know, someone's like, hey, like, you, you can't say no. You know what I mean? Uh, yeah. like a friend of your, buys you a shot and you're like, you don't have a moral aversion to drinking. You can't say no. <laughs> it's rude. 
you know and it was like oh fireball i remember you so well you know kind of <laughs> i wish i didn't <laughs> i wish i did yeah, it tastes like high school you know like yeah. um, uh, i think the weather had a lot to do with it too the weather was like pretty rough in atlanta and also like you're downtown so like if you're just surrounded by metal buildings the wind kind of swirls around you a lot yeah, and we're, it makes it we're getting into that season it's getting cold it it was yeah. just a a a recipe for some uh some sickness so we're, we're both dealing with that but outside outside of you know dealing with the cold i this was a great weekend mm-hmm yeah, but say uh, I know yeah. for a fact. Uh, j- just to spoil a little bit before we get into like the minutia of it, you qualified for the Pro Tour uh, this yeah. weekend. Congrats! Like seriously, congratulations! I thank know that you, was like your you. number one goal going. This was top forty-eight, and you achieved that goal. Got to see you and Brandon over the weekend. Got to see a bunch of people I hadn't seen in a while. Um, was definitely yeah. a super fun tournament. Um, you know, hung out with some people that I know but hadn't really gotten to you know gotten to know well. Um, so yeah, this is really one of the more fun tournament weekends uh i have had even even outside of that result though certainly the the result helps quite a bit and then you know you got to get into doing some magic coverage as well after doing a bunch of fab stuff recently um and, and so i think we're we're, we're going to start talking there and then we'll get to my side of things because while we were both at the tournament we got to see each other a little bit Really, you were off doing your thing, and I was off doing my thing. We were we experienced two, the tournament itself from two very different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, two drastically different perspectives. And to kind of build on what you said first, I, I think this might have been the most fun, or maybe the happiest overall, or almost the happiest I've, overall I've ever been in a Magic tournament. And it was because of the feeling in the room. While there were, you know, I'm sure you saw, if people saw on Twitter, people were like, oh, it was like an absolute shit show, and like... Yes, while at the beginning there were a lot of problems, I think that with the unique, uh, what's the right word here, challenges that the judge staff and the TO faced, I think they did a pretty decent job at uh, being like, yes, this is a problem. We will do what we can to fix it. We don't have perfect fixes for all this. So the one thing that I, I noticed and that gives me hope is that day two was a lot smoother than day one. And same with day three. Mm. as well like sunday was a lot smoother and saturday, oh saturday i mean of friday. the tournament that i played sure. so, yeah even so, then yeah yeah, yeah. Oh, oh yeah and yes yeah. friday was so fr- yeah friday was the worst day and then saturday was really slow for the main event and then mm. sunday was seemed fine i don't know even, how the side event really went yeah um because i was out of there by three o'clock <laughs> sure uh but the fact that i was out of there by three o'clock it was uh yeah. pretty nice so um that that tells me that they're like you know actively trying to get better and, and, and those are improvements that, that should hold it also seems like they got significantly more attendance than they were expecting. Though personally, this is about what I expected. It was about I, expected I think it was nine twenty eight in the main event. Uh, I think huge. most people were expecting more like six to eight hundred. Yeah, I think it's what Honorog said. He was expecting somewhere between six and seven fifty. Yeah. I think. And honestly, I would have, I would have expected maybe like seven to eight hundred, almost one thousand people. You know, the room was full that we had. Yeah. for that section and. That was good. To, that was great to see. Like it, it felt like, you know, uh, a Grand Prix before they got absurd. You know, we were getting like two and three K Grand Prix, which was like always kind of just. I still don't believe that that actually happened. This, this was a two thousands Grand Prix. Yeah, yeah. This is like it's still bigger than the Grand Prix that I top aided. You know, stuff like that. You know, whatever. But um, sick brag. Shut up. <laughs> But, you know, back when I was, like, playing Grand Prix more back then, you know, they were, like, they were a little smaller. They were on, like, the 500 to 700 scale. My Grand Prix were bigger than that, but mm-hmm. who's counting? Sure, sure. 
mine were denser how about that but, my, my grand prix could beat up your grand prix <laughs> no, okay but by, by sheer number by actual like density of the player mm, i don't know like, <laughs> go, go look at the go look at the one in question yeah. go look at daytona's day two and you, you'll recognize practically every name in day two like but uh, anyway, we're, we're digressing. And it was nice to see them, you know, address that. I've heard that some of the problems are going to be addressed or at least brought up in conversations before San Diego, um, which I'm hoping to be at. Uh, I, are you planning to go to San Diego? I'm assuming you are. Yeah, I'm uh, because of last week and I'm not qualified. Well, yeah, but I mean, like, you know, there's some people I know that are qualified for San Diego and they're like, I don't want to travel across the country, like blah, 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 et cetera. Yeah, stuff, you I'm, so. I'm going to go. Yeah, you're going to go. Okay, I'm queued cool. for the so, first pro tour. I got to try to queue for more of yeah. them. Like. Gotta get them all. Gotta collect them all. If I qualify for the second Pro Tour at the first one, then I might not go to San Diego. Right. If I don't need the qualification. Sure. Then it'll be a choice. That's like that's what I've heard some people. Like I think Jim Davis was saying something along the lines he might not go to San Diego yeah. because of A, baby, new dad, you know, busy with work. B, uh, he's like already qualified for the Pro yeah. Tour. I also really like San Diego. Never uh, been. I, I've played several tournaments there. I used mm-hmm. to play PT Guzera when I was in college. Mm-hmm. The convention okay, center is right yeah. downtown. It is right next to Petco Park and Ooh. will be in baseball season by then. Like Ooh. when I say next to Petco Park, I mean like a 45 second walk. Ross, if there <laughs> is if there is a ball game and I mean if they're like our last game is Wednesday before we leave, we're we're flying in on Wednesday and we're going to a game. <laughs> Yeah, I'm not. I'm not allowing you to not do that. Like the, the walk from one from the end mm-hmm. closest to the park to the park, yeah. I think is shorter than the walk from that end of the center to the other end of the convention center. <laughs> nice. It, it is ridiculously yeah. close. Yeah. So we're we're go. So what you're saying is we're going yeah. to the baseball game. Also, the barrio is right next to uh, downtown. The gas lamp, uh, uh, and that it's the best Mexican food I've ever had. Okay. Well, we're going to that as well. Yeah. So. Uh, it was so it. good. Yeah, book it. Maybe we'll that have that was a at the MTG. GP in 2015. Maybe we'll have an MTG rants meetup at the uh, at, at the restaurant, or maybe somewhere right there after or something. We need to yeah. do that at an event sometime soon. We have like an MTG rants meetup. I had a I had a decent bit of people come up to me this week. I don't know about you, because uh, you know we couldn't hang out together as much. Uh, I had a decent bit of people come up to me and say like, "Hey, you know, listen to the podcast, fan, give me like a fist bump, whatever." And it was honestly, it felt really good because you know we haven't. We haven't had that, you know, because we've been through pretty much the entire, like, our the entirety of our show has been the, been the pandemic. So yeah. we haven't had a lot of, you know, live tournament uh, appearances and stuff. So it was nice to have that. Excuse me. Sorry. Uh, throat's a little scratchy. Took a picture, signed some stuff. Yeah. Had, had some had some awkward interactions. I was pretty focused this weekend. So if I was a little bit more standoffish uh, to you this weekend, I apologize. That That's normally I'm... I'm a little bit more uh, gregarious around tournaments, but this one, uh, I, I wanted this one. Yeah, and I mean, like that, that's understandable. So hopefully, they understand that. And then, you know, to go to go down that line, uh, I was tr- you know trying to be as cordial as possible myself. Just sometimes yeah, that's the word I was short. looking for. Cordial. Yeah, I had to be. Sometimes I had to be a little short. You know, like I, I'd ask, you know, be like, "Hey, what's your name? Like, what's up? Like, are you playing? How you doing? Hey, I gotta go because <laughs> like I got you know I gotta go back to you know doing my job when I'm being you know paid for. <laughs> yeah. So the, the thing that, that I am here for, yeah, the thing the, that I am actually here for. Yeah. yeah. So w- with the, with some speed bumps that they had with, uh, with just, you know, tournament logistics, how, how did coverage go? Because this was, you know, a, a sort of strange setup where you've got you and I assume a couple other people handling stuff on site, uh, but all the commentators are remote. 
So you're not with them. You're communicating them with them, yeah. you know. Um, but th that's a, a different setup than I, I'm sure you're used to and most people are used to. Well, you know, how do you think coverage went, at least from, from your perspective? So um, overall, I think it was like, <clears throat> and, I'll, and I'll say why. I think it was a really good job by the coverage team. And I'm going to exclude myself from that. Obviously, I think I did fine. But I mean, like, just overall by everybody else. I think they did an amazing job. Um, considering that we were running with practically a skeleton crew, but, you know, because of budget restraints, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, I was added, like, very late in the uh, in the thing. Like, I was told that they want me for this role. <clears throat> they like wanted this role to be done. They just had to fit it in the budget is a big, is a big deal. You know, like they had to be able to yeah. make it work kind of thing, but they already had everybody else in place. Um, <clears throat> for everybody at home, if you didn't know, uh, um, Manu Duvaldi, uh, alias V Corey Baumeister and Paula Victor Domodorosa were the commentators and they were all at home, like telecommuting in. Some people said they liked this. Some people said they didn't, you know, whatever, whatever floats your boat. I actually think besides at large events that this is the future of coverage, and I think it's actually a very good way of doing it. You don't physically need to be there. And I think it cuts costs a ton. It makes coverage way more affordable and easy for a lot of people because you don't have as many moving parts on site. And a lot of us have really good internet connections and really good setups at home. Like I have a semi-professional camera. I have a professional mic. I have fiber internet now. You know, like, it's a humble brag, you know. Yeah. I, well, I have we, like we've had fiber extra. fiber for a year and a half or so. <clears throat> I this is the first time I've ever had fiber. It's fucking amazing. Like I don't know how I ever lived without it, and I probably can't ever again now. So, you know, I've got like good lighting and stuff now as well. And I think that this is the the future of coverage. I think it went pretty well overall. Like there's you know everybody nitpicks. Like uh, Honorog you know tweeted, hey, like give me some feedback, and there was just a ton of feedback. And a lot of it's like, you know, you, you get the negative more than you get the positive. A lot of the times you have people nitpicking on little things. And I think overall they did an amazing job. Also, like, uh, all BS aside, I'm never going to, like, shit on a fellow commentator. Let's be real. Like, especially, like, on a show or whatever. Like, I'm never going to come out and be like, they sucked. You know, or whatever. Like, that's just unprofessional, not cool. And I understand how difficult the job actually is. Like, the job's insanely difficult. You had the the two pairs, right? It was Monty right. and PV, and then yes. Corey and Alias. Yeah, who they work together very well, by the way. I don't know if you've yeah, ever watched they've been, them. They've been paired together yeah. on uh, Watsy broadcasts. So I'm mm -hmm. sure that, you know, they're very comfortable. And then, you know, having uh, someone of the stature of PV is always great. And yeah. Monty's right? been killing it doing Watsy coverage as well. Um, He's They're been all more, great he, players too. Yeah, I mean, I've I've played I played a team limited Grand Prix with Monty in 2014. Um, we we finished actually seventh, like to, when it was a cut to four. Uh, I had a really good too. run. We were we were X three. The the Grand Prix top eight. I'm using quotations here. Yeah, I have, yeah. I have, of, I have one of those too where we lost the last round. Uh, we didn't lose the last round. I think we lost second to last, something like we that. But win. like we lost, we, we, we made a really good run, and I, I came away from that tournament really really impressed with Monty that like he he actually he uh with our this was cons limited uh which is a great format for team limited because you have so many options and we Where opened was up this hmm? it was in Where Nashville was, I this this is this I'm talking about the same tournament by the way we yeah. lost our winning in that tournament I don't think you and I were like super good friends at the time yeah also we we asked the judges and I think they did this in the last round to separate all the top tables and they did like they because yeah. like there was a table that, that 
depending on our match could draw and if like we won and they drew we might still like get kicked like there's a chance some weird shit happens so we asked just like can we separate and then they can't we don't want them to walk over and watch our match and decide yeah. from there i'm like and the judges were actually cool about it nice uh <laughs> so we uh but uh we, we opened a great pool on day one and um Monty immediately says, like, there's an archetype that you can build in this format that opens up, like, a lot of power for the other two decks because it mainly uses commons and uncommons, but it's very good. It was this, like, Simic, base green, but Simic, uh, like, tempo deck that played a lot of Mystic of the Hidden Ways, Alpine Grizzlies, and Savage Punch. It was, like, those were the three key commons, and if you had multiples of all three, your the deck was viable. Uh, and so it was this, like, very linear deck that worked really well. You played, like, Stubborn Denial if you had it. And, like, you know, play, basically just played a Simic Tempo deck. And he's like, you know, uh, he actually didn't do that well with it. But, I would, like, he, he drew horribly. I was watching a lot of his matches uh, because my deck was so good I was just stomping people. But he just, like, takes this deck and, you know, does well enough. We went X1 on day one. And is like, I'll take this deck. You two take all the rares. <laughs> and and so Brandon and I just got to play in like I think I played four rare four or five rares in my deck and they were all busted. I was like Crater's Claws, Ash Cloud Phoenix, Flying Crane Technique, Jeskai Ascendancy deck. <laughs> just yeah. murdering people. Um and just like his his thought process through building and, and through playing uh came away really impressed. So not surprised to see that he has been uh, you know, crushing it as a commentator, but I was interested, like he's been mainly a, a a um desk guy right for for watsi coverage yeah yeah and now he's been in the booth so a little bit of a different role for him uh how, how do you think he did he did with that well he's also a uh grand prix champion we can't undersell his results <laughs> yeah quite, you know whatever but yeah I, I think he's good in whatever role you put him in especially now that you know he's got the most important part it was always obvious that he could do the job yeah. you just have to get the reps yeah, I just mean, need like, the, the comfort yeah, under the camera. and Yeah, and I mean, I think he's great. Like, he's got a great voice, a great understanding of the game. He understands, you know, to, you know, a, a better, way better than average extent every format that he's covering. You could tell that, like, he puts in the time and the and the effort. I thought he was, I thought he was just awesome. Like, nice. Especially, like, the, the hardest thing to do, and, like, I, I don't know if he's ever worked with PV before, but, like, one of the hardest <laughs> things to do is if you've never met someone and you do commentary with them, like it's very difficult to understand like their cadence, you know, like the how they talk, when they stop, et cetera, et cetera. And like, you know, going back and forth from that. Like I remember one of the pro tours this year for, for for Fab, I worked with somebody that I had never like I had only just met and he was he was French. So French was his first language, English was his second. And the first round that we worked together, I like stepped all over his toes multiple times. I'm I'm using that metaphorically, everybody. Um I didn't physically assault him. <laughs> um and you just kinda gotta get used to it, you know, because I didn't you know, didn't pop into my head that he's having to translate everything in his head so he's going to be a little slower in the uptake sometimes or he's going to need a second like in a, in a pause and my job is to make sure there's no real pauses in the broadcast i need to you know move the broadcast along i'm i'm the play-by-play so yeah. like i would say something he would comment and then i would start to say something else and then he would finish his comment after like a pause i'm like oh shit my bad you know like kind of thing and you got to get used to it so uh and and paulo has a very different way of talking as well you know he's got like a different cadence than normal. Almost everything sounds like a question to me, which is funny. I'm yeah, he does have that upward inflection a lot. Yeah, and he's Brazilian, so like you know, he's got a lot of it with the language stuff as well. So like very similar situation to that. So it can be different. And for everybody at home, uh, you know, they're they're at home. I was physically at the event, so I didn't do any actual commentary of the matches. You know, I was doing everything in between. So I've gone back and watched interviewing very handsome bearded men. 
Yeah, I mean, and then Ross as well was, got involved. <laughs> Some non-handsome bearded men as well. Just, yeah. You're just to get diversity man. in there. You're a very attractive man, Ross. Uh, kind of backing up a tiny bit. You know what one of my favorite parts of this weekend was? Just from like a like a personal and almost like uh, vain sense was uh, how many times people didn't recognize me. Yeah, the, yeah, the, blonde, was, the blonde hair even threw me off and I had already seen it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah, it, it it looks a little different, and so like I like multiple times I'd walk by here. Was that Tana Grace? Like, <laughs> like I literally, or like multiple people just didn't know it was me until I started talking to them. I'm like, I don't think I look that different, but I mean, like the hair is uh, like drastic. Hair, hair is a big, big yeah. visual cue for recognizing sure. a face. Yeah, and like yeah, so I was very, I am very blonde right now. So, uh, I you know that was fun, and I liked it, but. Back to the coverage stuff. Yeah, I thought they were awesome that they knocked it out of the park. You know, we'll possibly be doing the same thing for San Diego. Uh, you know, a lot of people, you know, it's it's funny to me. It's kind of like when you saw Cedric, like, kind of going after people a little bit on Twitter about, like, coverage. And, like, you know, sometimes he just gets fed up. And, like, you see, like, the real answers come out a little bit more. It's like, <laughs> this stuff's really expensive. Like, yeah, like, it was extremely expensive for them to bring me on site and stuff. Like, I cost them a lot of money this weekend. The casters, less so, right? Like, they didn't have to pay for flights. They didn't have to pay for is hotels. a bit of a diva. He needed yeah. gold leaf-wrapped M&Ms. No, they have to be separated by color, too. Yeah. By the way, because fuck the green ones. I'm eating all the other ones. But I'm just joking. I'll eat the green M&Ms. But uh, they have to be peanut, though. Let's be real. That's the only M&M that actually... The peanut yeah. or almond M&Ms are the only ones that do, actually exist. Do you know the origin of that meme? Which one? Oh, the, it's a, the, like, it, was a, it was a rock star band. It was, uh, it was Van Halen. Van Halen, yeah, but but they weren't do, they they didn't put it in to like be difficult or like because they actually wanted those. It was literally sure. their way of making sure that the people that were taking care of them had read the entire yeah. like the thing because the rest of it was like all stuff they needed to keep them safe. And if like the M and M's weren't there, then it was like oh shit, we need to check everything else because yeah. you know we might get electrocuted or pyrotechnic <clears throat> yeah or pyrotechnic like, stuff like yeah you don't want a Metallica thing to happen yeah. yeah yeah it was to make sure that they were they were seeing the details that were important. Okay, yeah, that makes a lot of sense, actually, because, like, I knew that's where it came from. I didn't know that's why. Yeah. Um, but it was, it was, uh, it was a, it was a, a little bit different than normal. You know, most of the fab stuff, I, look, I've done remote casting a lot. And, in fact, I, again, I, I think it's the future of casting because you can send, quote-unquote, a skeleton crew to the event, and they can handle the stuff, right? Like, you don't need to have everybody there. I think it's more cost efficient. Uh, the carbon footprint goes down, you know, and everything. We're not just, you know, flying a bajillion people all over the, f- the freaking world to show magic coverage. Um, yeah. If the cost goes down, coverage, the coverage becomes more booth feasible. takes up space in, in your event hall. Yeah. yeah. You know, all, all that stuff. And I, I think it's pretty clear that, like, coverage was not making money back for TOs. So there's going to, we're going to need to, adjust, if we want coverage, we're going to need to adjust the way we do it. And this is, this is a, at the very least, one good step in that direction, so y'all can have coverage. Um, but you know, it, it it's going to have to be a, a little bit more cost effective. And like, there's part of me that wants to, you know, like to ask and even say it's like I have no problem personally saying what I made on the weekend or what I ask for, you know, d- depending on what I'm doing. Like, I have no problem talking about my quote out loud and like. The, the, the few things that I'm like, this is this is mandatory for me to come work for you, and then we can talk from there. And while, you know, stuff changes, I see your, your eyebrows up. Are you, do you think I should actually say the numbers? Mm-hmm. Oh, no, I, don't, I don't care. You can if you want. I mean, like, just to kind of, like, make it transparent for people. And, you know, again, this is this is different from different people. And, and like, the, the situation changes. To, everything's fluid, right? But, you know, like, 
if I had an agent, which I, I technically do, you know, like, you know, for when I sign my contracts, uh, I ask for $1,200 a day, de- depending on the work, like just depending on the work, like if I'm supposed to be there for eight ish hours, but you know, ba- baseline. Yeah. Baseline. <laughs> it's like, it's $1,200 a day. Uh, everything needs to be taken care of as well. Like uh, flight has to be taken care of hotel has to be taken care of. Like I'm like, I, I will pay for it, but you're reimbursing me. Like it's in the contract. Like I'm, I'm not paying for that. Right. Kind of stuff. And then, um, other stuff can happen too. If, if it's like, this has never come up, even if we've had long days, you know, we had a super long Saturday where like, you know, I'm there for 12 hours. Like if it's uh, I as a constant... player did not get out until close to 10 o'clock. Yeah. Uh, I got a little before you because when the last round started, I just left. Cause like, they don't need me anymore. And I was like, I need to sleep. I literally left, yeah. went to my hotel room, uh, ate and fell asleep. Like that was like, cause I needed to sleep. I still woke up at like five in the morning. All, right. all my rounds went so long that day. I just didn't even have a chance to like go get something to eat. Yeah. And Anderson LeClaire actually came up big with a couple cliff bars for me late in that day. Yeah. Thanks. Yeah, Anderson. I, I had, I had friends bringing me food like yeah. un, unasked, like they were bringing me food. I'm like, you guys I, are, I repaid Anderson by forgetting to give him back a third path. Iconoclast. I borrowed on Friday thinking I might play one on my sideboard. Didn't even play it. Still have it. What a, what a asshole. But, yeah. And I, and I will say this, I did take a pay cut for this event and straight up offered it too. Cause I was like, look, I know y'all are coming in. You're trying to come in and under budget or at budget. I really want to do this job. I really want to like, you know, hang out and stuff. So I was like, if you can cover all the stuff, I'll take, I'll take a pay cut per day. And I did and stuff. And I have no problem with that. And, uh, you know, my quote would have been less had I been able to stay home, obviously, but you know, what I did is not something you can do from home. Yeah. And you were doing so, interviews with players and mm-hmm. kind of hosting the show. Yeah. And that was fun actually too. Cause like, I wish we could do more of it. I don't know if it ever got shown where like, I don't know if it ever got fitted in, but there was a point where I walked around the entire building and like went to different sections and would like talk about something for a second, or you would just see me walking to a section. And the idea was to like, you know, introduce, I was like, you know, Hey, welcome to the uh, dream. dream I was a dragon con. Kind of <laughs> yeah. Welcome to dream hack. Cause it's the same. It's like a few weeks before welcome to dream hack. You know, we're here for magic, but there's other things you can do. And you like see the whole magic thing behind me. Then I like, yeah. I'll walk over Show to people booth. what they're missing. Yeah, I walk over to like where Starcraft's playing. And there's a huge crowd going nuts, and like I'm not even saying anything, but like you know they're filming me walking around and, and looking at stuff. And we were gonna like you know do the you know when you watch something at like eight times speed of someone like walking through all the stuff and it looks really cool. We were gonna do that, but I know our film guy was like playing hurt this weekend. He was extremely under the weather and stuff, and like and they messed up his hotel room, so he's like getting less sleep and stuff, and it was just a nightmare for him. But he is a trooper, and he is his name is Jordan. He is just he's awesome. He makes me look and sound better than I can ever imagine and and be and i'm super thankful for that we did all that um i got to get a really this one i know aired multiple times i got to get an interview in with alex jabaley and that name kind of like rings a bell with you he is the uh twitch show uh twitch twitch uh emote jabated like that's where it came from it's like his face and stuff and uh he's like the organized guy for all of the fighting game community and so we went over and talked to him and he was just an absurdly good interview but I also had like the Street Fighter secret layer because the guys played Magic before. We were like talking about you know having Magic a dream hack, and he's like, "Yeah, it's so cool to see this game that I used to play show up." And we gave him some of the secret layer from Street Fighter, you know, like his favorite character and stuff like that. And you know, just did fun stuff like that. And then interviewing the players was awesome too because you know, like I alluded to earlier, everyone was just really happy to be there, you know, to see in person. And everyone was saying the same things along the lines of views like. I got to see somebody. I'm like, oh, I haven't seen you in three years. Oh, I haven't seen you in four years. Like, how are you doing? How are the kids? How are the how's the family? How's the job? You know, kind of stuff. And people were just like really excited about the gathering part. And I, I know, 
it's cliche at this point or kind of jokingly people were like the best part of magic is the gathering but like maybe it actually was ross maybe it really <laughs> was maybe it was you know the magic was really the, the friends we made along the way and, well the, the thing is it's it's hard for magic to be fun if the gathering isn't fun it's but really it's definitely fun. possible for the magic to be fun if even if the tournament doesn't go well like mm-hmm. you know so I've, I've always talked about that where like if you have like a team that you're playing with or friends that you go to an event with it makes the highs better because you have friends to share the highs with and it like really really you know hits yeah. it home and then when you have the lows it actually helps you know with the lows as well because you have you have friends to commiserate with the highs get multiplied the lows get divided yes exactly that's a, that's a much cleaner better way of putting it you know you get to go out with your friends have a nice dinner like hang out really like some of my best friendships were forged this way you know with long road trips or trips to other places and you're hanging out you know trips to other countries and you're hanging out and you get to really know people like that's how i made you know friends with you that's uh, you know i became great friends of jim davis this way uh brendan candio i like we weren't even supposed to be friends like he just showed up in spain at the pro tour with nowhere to stay and like no team to play with and i ran into him in like the airport and he was just like lost and like i you know i had seen him before and he was like he's like hey tannen uh like He's like, where are y'all going? I was like, well, we like rented this big apartment for everybody. He's like, do you mind if I come? I don't have anywhere to stay. And I was like, yeah, man, like we got a couch at the least, you know? And then we just became best friends from there. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like that week he and I hung out more than like any week, you know? Classic and Brennan. So, I need an adult. <laughs> yeah, I need, literally just, I need an adult. Yeah. That was the most fun trip ever because there was that. Well, and like when I got off the, well, Yeah, exactly. When I got off the plane, I realized that I hadn't done what I needed to ahead of time. And I was like, I don't even kind of know where I'm supposed to go. Like, you know, so I was like freaking out for a second. I was like, what am I going to do? And then around this corner, Calcano was there, who I was teamed with. He just had a piece of paper up that just said the Tan and Grace on it. Like, you know, you would you like have the limo <laughs> waiting for you? And I was just like, this is amazing. And I was like, this is great. <laughs> so uh, I need to find that picture because that picture exists somewhere. I need to find it. But um, oh, that's great. Yeah, I got to see him in person this weekend for the first time in like four years. You know, we still chat all the time because he's like been big in poker and stuff lately. And yeah, I, I saw him jamming some it. limited at one point over the weekend. Yeah, that's how he. That's how he qualified to play. And I think he won the uh, the limited qualifier. Um, yeah, pretty lucky. Un- unsurprising. Coil his, yeah, he had form coil in his cube. I remember I walk over as he was opening. He goes, "Dude, I hope we get to keep our uh, our pulls." And I was like, "Oh, is yours good?" And he just like flashes the worm coil, and I'm like, "Oh well, hopefully the rest is playable because that card's really good," you know, kind of thing. And um, yeah, just overall, like it was it was an interesting weekend from the coverage perspective. Um, I would either be really busy or like not have technically something to do in which case i'm like going trying to find something to do like i'm watching matches i'm kind of like figuring stuff out uh helping behind the scenes where i can because like let's be real i'm in front of the camera guy i kind of can't be behind the camera like i can take pictures i can record stuff they like show me how to do it like i can turn the camera on kind of thing (laughs) and off you know what i mean but like if something goes wrong i have no freaking like i walk over to um you know the the I walk over to the the war desk, you know, where like Jeff Foster is. Everybody knows who Jeff Foster is, or almost everybody knows who Jeff Foster is. And he's back there, like he's got three or four monitors surrounding him, and he's got like what looks he has a keyboard and another thing that looks like a keyboard, but it's just like a switchboard, you know, kind of like when you see people like record music. He's got like a miniature version of that and like something else. He looks like Tony Stark, just like you know going <laughs> off and like like doing all this stuff. And I'm just like, I don't know what any of this does, you know. Like I, if I had to take his spot, literally the show would implode. It would actually. <laughs> Probably there would be a nuclear meltdown somehow, even yeah. though there's no fissionable material. <laughs> like, I would somehow find a way. <laughs> like, yeah. You know, yeah. Like, you know, like, we would just figure that out kind of thing. So, you know, overall, it was pretty great. Everyone's uh, attitudes were really good over the weekend. It was, like, probably the most positive I've ever seen a Magic tournament overall. People were just happy to be there, you know. And 
the reviews on my work were pretty good. You know, every, everyone was, like, pretty nice. I didn't see a lot of, you know, tenant sucks stuff, which is nice, even though I usually don't read the comments, but, like, I've kind of done it a little bit more lately and stuff, but... And, I, you know, I said I watched back some stuff on Twitch, and, you know, I'll pop up, and some people will say something. Mostly it was just blonde question mark or exclamation point or super <laughs> saiyan canon or justin timberlake references or something like that or boy band references which, which you is just want to uh, have more fun yeah right uh, eminem gets mentioned a lot uh slim shady mostly like back <laughs> then, you know, like that, gets, that gets mentioned a lot well the real tan and grace please stand up <laughs> please stand up the real tan and grace yeah exactly um that, that was the funny thing this week and i was like yeah i'm not the tan and grace anymore i'm a tan and grace because this is the blonde me but, but yeah uh with, bizarro with love, tan and grace yeah, it was right bizarre. Yeah, I call this well when Fab was going on and people. It's funny. Uh, someone in the chat got it right. Someone's like, "Why is he blonde?" They're like, "Oh, he dyed his hair for a bit for flesh and blood." I'm like, "Yo, that that's actually what happened." But I kind of like it, so I might keep it. But I call that one capitalist tan and grace. You know, when I had the the American flag yeah. suit on and all the stuff. But um, overall, uh, had a great time. It was. I don't want to say easy. It was just made easy. You know what I mean? Because like Honorog and Jeff and Jordan and all these guys like. They're such studs at their job. Like, they're just so good at what they do that it makes it easy. And they're very easy to work with. Like, we all have a really, really good rapport with each other. Like, you know what I mean? It's like one of those things where, like, we could work pretty well with practically almost never talking to each other because we all know the other person's role at this point. You know, we've all worked together for, like, Fab or Magic before. And we know who's good at what and what to do. And then there's a lot of, like... What's the right word for, for this? When you're like you're working together and you'll be like like let's do this and and not this or that and this, but you're both like there's a bunch of ways of like us all working together, and like no one's afraid to say no, I don't like that or yeah, this is great, let's do it this way or let's try it this way kind of stuff, and it just works. I don't know, that's know, just trust. Yeah, it's very yeah, it's very <laughs> trusting and cooperative. And yeah, and cooperation. I get, I get made to look a little better than I actually am because it doesn't happen very often, but every now and then I flub. You know, like I'll just say something wrong or I'll fuck up or. You get the yips. The worst part is, especially when I know it's not live, because almost every interview I do is not live. Like, it's all taped. They go compress it real quick, and then they throw it into the coverage when they need it. You know, like, instead of a commercial, here's some actual content kind of stuff, right? And there's a few of them, like, you know, yours, we just fired off in one one go. Like, there was no problem or whatever. But sometimes, like, I'll start talking, and, like, immediately the, the, the you know, because we're right next to the judge station, they'll start making announcements. I'm like, all right, hey, cut. Like, we'll, we'll come back. Or... I'll just say something wrong or I'll say the player's name wrong or, you know, or something. And like, I'll be like, all right, let's just start over. Cause it's early in the thing. And we can do that when it's live. You can't do that. And I almost think that's like kind of nice because I, I think I do better when I know I can't mess up kind of thing. Yeah. But you do get the, the yips. Wall. Yeah. You do get the yips. Like, it's really funny. If I ever mess up, I'm going to mess up again. Like I'm going to do it wrong. Like twice instead of just once kind of thing. So it looks a lot better on coverage when they get to like kind of you know cut the the mess ups over and over again. Like we had to cut a tiny bit of the Jabali interview because I cussed and he cussed in it, and like mine might have been okay. His definitely wasn't. You know he dropped an f bomb. You know, and I just said something about getting my ass kicked in Street Fighter as a kid. You know that's how I kind of came up in in gaming and stuff. But yeah, overall it was pretty great. Uh, the the play was really good. Like I got to watch a lot of really good players play this weekend. And uh, and then there was you. I got to watch you play a little bit as well. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a pretty good experience. I know we can kind of talk about yours and get a little more into the minutiae of the tournament and, like, what actually happened. And, you know, yeah. we talk about Pioneer oh. a little bit, which is something <laughs> that I think people really want to hear on the show. Yeah. From, uh, from my perspective, you know, it was pretty clear that Friday was indeed a shit show. The way they were re registering people for LCQs, 
didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, do you, do you mind if I interrupt for like two seconds? On sure. This? I agree with you. The yeah. beginning of Friday was an utter shit show. The line was like obscenely deep and just winding through the play area too. Like yeah. you know, we could have maybe done better with that. The way they handled it from then on was impressive. Like it was something that got fixed within a few hours. They they changed the way in which they were registering people because they realized this is a problem. We got it fixed. So yeah. And while they made I admit it, it better. Sucked, they still they, didn't really get to a p- point where it was operating efficiently. I'm, I'm pretty sure they could have run triple the number of LCQs that they ran. Yeah, I, I 100% agree with that statement. I, I And this is not me just being like, oh, you're on coverage, you have to say the nice thing. Like, I, I give them props for how well they adapted. Yeah. they, they There's a yeah, bajillion yeah. people there, and everyone was understaffed. It, everyone was <clears> understaffed. Yeah. It's clear that DreamHack did not, you know, uh, you know under-resource the magic part of this event. Now, I think that, you know, is understandable, given the attendance that Magic had at their previous events. I think that, you know, so I'm... I'm going to withhold final judgment until San Diego, because I think now that they've seen what a big event like a regional championship can do, which is going to draw more people, um, you know, they should give a lot more resources to the, the magic part of this event. So we'll see how well staffed and how well resourced magic is in San Diego. And then, and I'll go from there. But, you know, I, I got there pretty early just to make sure I could get the few cards that I needed. Um, from the decks that I was waffling between, which was, you know, if you listen to last week's episode, Orzhov Humans and Is It Phoenix. Um, ultimately, I landed on Phoenix just because I thought it was the more powerful deck, and I didn't like the idea of playing an aggressive deck in an open decklist tournament. I think there's a reasonable amount of equity that you get being uh, an aggressive deck in game ones when your opponent just keeps a medium hand and you run them over, mm-hmm. and you're just not going to get that in... <laughs> Uh, you know, nearly as often. I didn't, even, I didn't even think about it that way. And, you know, we were, I actually have been saying for a while, I think you're going to start to see like the comeback of Phoenix because it's like you said, the deck is just very inherently powerful. There's a bunch of different ways to build it. And like, I mean, you see it with the results this weekend that, you know, while it was, you know, second place. And then I think it wasn't in the top 16. Other than that, there was a bunch of people that were in contention pretty late. Like I think 19th was the second time. Is it Phoenix yeah. gets, there, uh, there was a lot of people that were X three going into the last round that drew to lock out their top 48 spot with Phoenix. Yeah. I know and that's, um, a, that's a big thing to talk about too. Cause that's going to skew the, the results. Yeah. People were like half of the top tables drew in the last round to make yeah. sure that like, Hey, look, we could play for the 200 bucks or we could just lock up this PT invite for both of us. Well, it was a little bit more money than that, which was fortunate for me because all of those people drawing meant that I snuck into 30th top, top 32 was, a, was 1500 33 to 48 was 525. So it was a $975 difference, but the PT invite means that much. Uh, I would have done the same thing in, in their shoes. So, um, but my breakers were horrible through, through the tournament. So I had to play the last round. And uh, my last round opponent was kind enough to draw very, very, very badly in two straight games. I had the easiest match I think I've played in 10 years. <laughs> the match was over in 10 minutes. <laughs> there was no sweat at all. And uh, I really didn't care how my opponent felt. So, uh, But getting back to, to, to Friday, like I, I showed up early because I knew I needed a few cards, but I knew they were... Uh, specifically the Brotherhood's Ends that I wanted for Phoenix's sideboard, that was a card that I knew would sell out quickly. One vendor had them. I was able to get them. And so then I'm, I'm just kind of there all day, and most of the people I know are, you know, playing LCQs, or a lot of them at least. 
So I'm like, you know, talking with some people that are qualified about sideboards, waffling on what my sideboard's going to be before the 6 p.m. decklist submission, watching some people play LCQs. I remember I, I got lunch with you, John, Job, and E. Uh, we had some nice uh, uh, Middle Eastern food uh, and a nice little vegetarian mezza so plate. Good. Yeah, it was a little baba ganoush, a little falafel, some dolma. Uh, it was great. And uh, like but, a little bit of hummus, but like yeah, was, a little hummus. And then uh, I didn't know we didn't get hummus with our meal. I always ate some of the appetizer hummus that we had, but like yeah, yeah overall, I think everybody went to that. I keep keep selling. I kept seeing people uh, tweeting <laughs> yeah. about it all weekend. Yeah, I think it was definitely the best place that you could walk to. You know, mm-hmm. near the site. That was, then, like, very affordable and stuff, too. Yeah. And then, uh, but once 6 o'clock rolled around, and my deck list was submitted, I, I wanted to go get dinner, but I'm, like, waiting on other people to finish, and not really sure what's going on, And but, like, and everything, every tournament is taking forever. Uh, you know, I, I actually did some scouting for my friend Snook. He was in, in a, in the final eight, so in the round, uh, what, th- three? Uh, of the of his second LCQ, and I'm just standing over and watching, and I get out my notepad, and just write everyone else's archetype as they're playing, um, and I, I felt really good the next day when he told me that you know the, the scouting really helped because he played a, he played like an, he was playing Rakdos and he played against this Orzov mid range deck in the finals, and I was able to like write down a lot of the cards in his deck, uh, get, give him a little bit of a boost um, between rounds, of course, and uh, so I'm just kind of like hanging out, waiting for people to finish, and, like, the, the last LCQs just didn't finish until forever late. Um, you just made me think of one of the things that was pretty funny on the first day of the R, uh, of the actual RC was, uh, you know, this was probably the first time for a lot of people playing an open decklist tournament, especially when you physically have an open decklist. You know, you're not playing on, like, Arena or MTG Melee or something like that. And I had to, like, go talk to the judge staff after round one because I was, like, walking through all the top tables. I'm like, you need to make an announcement that they have it at the paper face down. Like, you, you can't have notes in any way that were prepared outside of the game during yeah. the game of Magic. <clears throat> yeah. And so people would just have the deck list up. So I saw people, like, you know, their opponent would have mana up, and they would just, like, look over. And I'm just like, come on, man. Yeah, <laughs> like, I get it, you don't know. But, like, I was like, I had to, like, you know, go over, like, walk over. I was, like, turning people's paper face down and stuff. And, that, and I, you know, from my perspective, I was kind of, you know, middling about open deck lists. You know, I, I could go either way. I don't think it makes a huge difference. Other than uh, I do think linear decks get a little bit worse, though both Lotus Field and Humans did quite well on the weekend. So, and, and, you know, they're still very capable decks. Um, but I was I was worried from a logistics standpoint. And while, you know, handing my opponent deck close back and forth like we did every round was fine, what it, it did require them to have a player meeting where they sat us all down in alphabetical order like you used to do 15, 20 years ago. This is how they used to collect deck lists before electronic submission, if any of you are really new. Um, and, you know, the, the head judge gets on and goes over some announcements for things. Um, and, and then, you know, you start round one. In this case, they had to hand out our deck lists, right? And that just took time. And then they did, they did a, they had a nice gesture where they handed us all uh, the little, like, name tags, right? Mine didn't show up. <laughs> Everybody yeah, else some, in coverage just showed up. Mine some, did not. Some people have that issue. Um, some people had theirs misprinted, uh, you know, their name was misspelled. Mason's just had like a weird comma at the end. That was weird. Um, I've been told that if I go to San Diego, it will be rectified and that they're going to try to make it say the Tan and Grace on it. Nice. But mine was perfectly fine. Um, that's what, that's what really matters, Ross. Yours, yours was good. Yeah. Mine, mine was perfect. Um, but like, 
all all those things, handing those out, handing deckless out, getting us into our seats. They had to constantly stop people from getting up because magic players are like toddlers. They literally can't sit still for more than eight minutes at a time unless they are like, playing a game of magic. It's like puppies. You have to like herd them. Yeah. yeah. And then it's like, if you're not in your seat when we were doing this, you're going to get dropped from the event. Everyone just like hurries back. Yeah. Um, and all that stuff just delayed the tournament. You know, we had a 10 a.m. start time and, and they posted the pairings me- player meeting right about 10. It was like 10 05. And, but we didn't get to round one till 11 o'clock. It was an hour-long player meeting, which is probably the longest I've ever experienced in my life. And so that means we didn't start round one until actual 11. And then every round goes over. One of the issues, I they need to make more announcements about people submitting their matches on Melee. And I'm at the point where if your match is not submitted on Melee, by the time um, the last match finishes... And you haven't like talked to a judge about it. You're not having technical difficulties. I just drop both players from the event. Drop them. Make a bunch of announcements about it. They have to be well informed. But once you make those announcements, drop them from the event. I'm tired of these. Tur- like every round, it was like four tables. They had to announce. They would announce all their names, and it just added five ten minutes to every single round. This is you know you're wasting half an hour to an hour of nine hundred plus people's time. To- time because you just can't remember to to submit your match result i i it boggles my mind i literally did it at the table before getting up every time how is this so difficult for people to do they're just not used to it anymore like yet um in flesh and blood this is like very common it's the only way we do it pretty much and i'm like the opposite because i'm so ingrained to like having a slip or like going up and telling people that like it took me a little while to get used to doing it electronically now you know, it's the opposite for everybody in Magic. Like you said, de- depending on how much of a boomer you are, you know, you're very used to doing it a different way. And it's just like you're, it's like muscle memory almost. But give it another couple events. Like the second time people have to do it, it'll it'll stick in. Yeah, I assume it'll get better. But you should, even if you're used to the match slips, shouldn't you still have that mental check? Like once you're packing up your stuff, shouldn't you be like, oh, where's the match slip? And then you're like, wait, it's electronic. Okay, I have to. So I, I don't really understand why that would lead you to not doing anything. Because it's not like we, we didn't submit our match results before. It used to be you'd have to call a judge over at a professional event, and they would have to, you know, yeah. uh, take the match slip up. Uh, so I, I uh, it just really irks me because I, I, I honestly think that added at least an extra half an hour to the tournament. It was just oh, yeah, people being inconsiderate. Wrong. No, you're not wrong. Or just yep. forgetful. I mean, you know, like, the so other thing that really irks me at tournaments? What's that? People not pushing their chairs in. Yeah, that does. That's annoying too, especially when like the rows can be a little tighter or whatever. But yeah. like, I think it's it's also just people will just be forgetful. So I don't know if it's always malicious. Like I think it's way less malicious than push your fucking chairs in. Yeah, wear a belt. Push your goddamn of... fucking chairs in. You it's been animals. a while since it's been a magic event, and I saw a lot of butt cracks this weekend. So wear, there's wear way too there's way too many people that like they they just don't treat anyone else's things with any amount of respect. You know what we call that? We've we've got we got a name of this recently because it, it just overarchingly amounts to a lot of people this way. We call it um, main character syndrome. Yeah, where like you're just like yeah, I understand you're the main character in your own story, like that makes sense. But like you're not in everybody else's, but they assume they are. And I I've been guilty of this. You know, I'm not saying I'm perfect, but it's just like you see people do something dumb, and that's usually the main thing where I'm just like they're just not thinking about anyone else or anything else besides yeah. like like step one in front of them of get mine you know is like an exactly. easy way of putting it and way too many it is, it is a little annoying but uh yeah the, you know uh, 
d- day one ran super long, which was annoying. Day two was super quick. Like the, the Swiss was done before 2.30. So we, we ran four rounds of Swiss from 10 to about 2.15. You know, perfect. Mm-hmm. Um, so clearly once they got down to like a size that they were expecting and manageable, uh, thing, things went smoothly. So that is yeah. encouraging for the future. They had to do a lot of the housekeeping stuff day one as well, which, like, well, let's, let's start doing this Saturday. They had to yeah. do a lot of the extra stuff I'm, for day one of the RC, and it I'm, just makes it, makes it longer. Yeah. I wasn't a huge fan of the space. Like, we, we, there, there's this, like, huge room divider, and so we, it just yeah. looks like we're in this, like, bare room. But I understand why, because when I walked in the, at first the, on that Friday, I was like, it's so dark in here. Because yeah. everything else is dimmed, because yeah. that, that's how you know, people screens. play video games. It's all yeah. these computer screens going on. Uh, you need the contrast. And our the magic side, which was off in one corner, uh, you know, there was a section that was sort of part of the main event hall that was you know c- congruent to it, and uh, not um, adjacent, contiguous to it. That's the word I'm looking for. Sure, um, uh, that's a word we hear every day in common English language. Yeah, is that not not part that's, of your that's, your lexicon? That is not in my lexicon. Like okay. I've got a I have got a good vocabulary, and that is not in mine. Just means shares a border, like sure. the 48 contiguous U.S. states. Yeah, I mean, like I've heard, I mean, I've re- let's put it this way: I've read that word. I don't yeah. know if I've ever heard someone actually physically say it out loud. Yeah. So, do you know what? Speaking of that, you just made me think. Of, you know what word got me as a kid that well, I always read and never heard anyone say out loud? So I just I pronounced it very, very incorrectly. Debris. Do you say like Debris or? Yeah, I had no idea. So I'd say like Debris or whatever, and someone's like, "What the? F- what are you saying?" You know, like <laughs> I'm a child. I'm a child, Ross. Like an yeah, actual yeah. child. You know, I'm like seven, or if I'm reading, you know like actual novels because i was i was a big bookhead i think i told you about this when i was a kid i just read all day every day and i'm just like yeah like this you know the the, the thing blew up so there was just the breasts everywhere and someone's like debris and i'm like oh okay sure <laughs> yeah <laughs> anyway and you move on yeah and move uh, on. yeah we learn so, and, we, and we move on yeah so that, that section where the, like the vendors were and where they were doing a lot of side events um it was a little bit brighter uh, because, you know, obviously we need more light playing Magic. Um, but with uh, with the main event and, like, the 10K on Sunday all being in this sort of separate room with a full wall dividing it, they were able to turn up the lights so we had normal light. So I appreciate that. It just is weird to me that, like, you know, we're supposed to be part of this, you know, con, but we're not really, we're, like, very closed off from it. Uh, th- that's just me. I don't really care about anything that's happening at DreamHack. I'm not, a, you know, a gamer in that sense. I know, like, I play a game for a living. I'm a literal, like, pro gamer. You're not, but you're, you're not a gamer. Yeah, it's you're like a, a different, ki- yeah. it's a different I kind of game. It really gamer. is. Yeah. Um, so. I don't think, I don't even consider myself a hardcore gamer. And I, I play, I actually play games. You know, like, yeah, I play, I'm, I I'm a boomer gamer. I play Warzone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I played video games when I was a kid. I will say this. I did actually really like the actual, you know, I'd never been to uh, DreamHack. Almost called it Dragon Con again. I've never actually been to DreamHack, and if you're uh, on the fence about going to one of these, like just either as a spectator, competitor, whatever, just go. It was a ton of fun. Um, the lines were a little long the start of the very first day because, like, you know, everyone's trying to get their same time. But overall, everyone's like really positive. It was really fun. Uh, I got to meet my favorite streamer, which I didn't even know was there. I was just like taking a walk around to get away from the Magic players for five minutes and clear my head when I had a break. And then uh, there's, like, a break room in the back for staff. So, like, you know, we had, like, actual good food and desserts and drinks back there that we could go get every now and then. Sick brag. Yeah. <laughs> like, I pretty much only ate the desserts because over the weekend, the desserts that they had offered, let me remember all these, was um, was cannoli, tiramisu, German chocolate cake, another cake, I don't remember. Um, God, what else was there? Uh, churros. 
and something else. I don't remember what, but like every day it was just something different. And then, you know, they had food out and stuff. And I was like, this is gas, you know, or whatever. Like I, you know, I have more time off than some of the other people. Cause like when the actual rounds are going, I'm not busy. You know, I, yeah. I, I was like, I was making sure I did stuff, but every now and then I just go back there or whatever. But, uh, I was like walking by the monster booth and like, uh, my favorite streamer is this guy named, uh, Tyler. He, he goes by TP online. He plays Warzone. He plays, you know, call of duty. And I really got into watching him during the pandemic when I was at home. Cause like my favorite game was Warzone, and he was like really good at. It. I like his community. I like his. I like everything about him. Like he's like not over the top in any way, but like very entertaining, very wholesome kind of stuff. His community is amazing. He has like one of the best communities on Twitch I've ever seen. And he's just like chilling there, and I was like, oh shit! <laughs> like walked over. I was like, what's up, man? Like shook his hand. I got a picture with him. You know, and it was just like really cool. And he was just like super down to earth and like chill, like you would expect. And I was like, that's pretty cool. Cause like I. Don't take this any weird way at home, everybody listening. I don't get to be a fan very often of stuff. And, like, when I do, I get to – I really enjoy when I get to be a fan and stuff. So it's it's pretty great. Yeah. Um, So, um, you know, the the tournament itself went – nothing too, like, out of line. You know, pretty typical stuff. Like I said, landed on is it because I just thought it was the more overtly powerful deck, um, and then you know the the tournament starts. My round one is Rakdos Sacrifice, a deck I had never played against, and they had four copies of Leyline of the Void in their sideboard. I was like, well, this might be tough. <laughs> uh, managed to I, I lost game one. And then squeaked it out. I lost a lot of game ones this weekend. I'm mulligan in a lot of game ones, which was like, I would say kind of frustrating, but I mulliganed a lot of hands that I would have kept in closed deck list. So honestly, it probably benefited me, even if it just ended with me drawing a lot of mediocre sixes and losing. Um, but I uh, lost a lot of game ones and played a lot of three game matches as a result. I think I, I didn't have a two game match until round seven. <laughs> on day one, my first six were all just go to three games. Um, but I, I'd be Rakdos mid-range in round two. Uh, round three and four, I lost two mirrors. My opponents drew a lot more treasure cruises and pieces of the puzzle than I did. You're going to lose. Yeah. yeah. And I felt really good after the Rakdos mid-range matchup in round two. Um, because obviously, like, you know, that's your canonically worst matchup. Uh, I felt like the Rakdos sacrifice matchup with four ley lines was not, you know... If, if it was good, it was not very good. It, you know, barely ahead at best, probably a little behind. So I felt like, okay, I've gotten some bad matchups out of the way. I'm still 2-0. Uh, you know, now I can start hitting some of the good ones. And, you know, is it Phoenix Mirror is obviously going to be about even. Um, you know, one of them had like a, they had, one of them had like a Mishra's command in their deck over the second Galvanic iteration, which I didn't think was very good. So, you know, one card difference, but I felt like it favored me. Lost both of those, and I'm feeling pretty bad. Uh, oh, I did want to mention in that first Rakdos mid-range matchup, I blew my opponent to smithereens in game three. Um, they had... Um, I just played on my turn four two shredders. And I looted away a, a spell. Um, so I have a 2-4 shredder and a 1-3 shredder. And my opponent has a graveyard trespasser. They untap, attack with it. And they're going to their turn five. They're in the play. And they just play Kalidus Go with a mana up. And I draw my card for turn. And 
I have two phoenixes in play, but I'm like that I was planning to put into play with these shredders. Two phoenixes in my hand, I mean. But I'm scared because of this Kalidus. I just have a fiery impulse, so I start with a cantrip, thinking like, okay, I'll, hopefully I'll find a lightning axe. I find another fiery impulse, so I'm like, okay, I can just double impulse this Kalidus, pitch these phoenixes, and yeah, I think my opponent has some removal in their hand, so they're going to be able to deal with the phoenixes effectively. But I also have these shredders attacking, and I'm going to make a huge attack this turn. My attack's going to be for eleven. Um, you know, so they should, I, I should be able to outpace this trespasser, right? And I, I impulse the, the Kalidus as my second spell, and now it's my connive triggers. And my opponent goes, hold on, in response to connive, I'll use my last mana, fatal push the 2-4 shredder. I'm like, okay, now it's going to get a little bit harder, that's more food for the trespasser, it's less of a clock for me, and you have a zombie that increases your clock as well. And, and you've decreased my clock. So, that that's a bit of a, you know that's pretty good, but you know gotta you know keep keep playing. I draw my two cards off the two connive triggers, and the second one is Brotherhood's End. So I pitch my phoenixes, play my fifth land. I have three mana left. Cast Brotherhood's End with a two four shredder in play. Kill everything, still leaving myself with the second impulse in hand. Bring back both phoenixes. Attack for eight, and the game is over on the spot. So that was fun. So I was feeling great after round two, and then I lose two close mirror matches. Like, but both, uh, you know, both matches went three games. Almost basically every game was close, and now I'm like, Ugh, that, like that doesn't feel great. I've just come out on the wrong side in a couple very close matchups where I feel like you know my opponents just kind of outdrew me because there's very you know it's pretty obvious what cards are important in the Phoenix Mirror. Um, and now I'm two two, uh, but you keep playing. My round five matchup is Abzan Greasefang. I think one of your best matchups in the format, but I'm looking at through my opponent's deck list, and it's a uh, it's a little bit different than Stock Grease Fang. They have two dresses in their main, in addition to their thought seizes. They have a third dress in the sideboard. They have a hearse. They have a go blank, and they have two copies of Deafening Silence. Wait, what? Deafening Silence. Remember what it does? Yeah. Yeah, it's really good against Phoenix. Yeah. This was like the card people played a year ago. I don't know why they haven't you know, brought it back. I think it's just a little too narrow because the Pioneer metagame is pretty wide. Um, but no, they were just like, I'm coming to beat Phoenix. And I'm just like, Oof, this is not the Grease Fang opponent I wanted to get paired against. Um, but fortunately, they did not have an early Deafening Silence in either game. I actually mulliganed to five in game one. I, I sat down in that matchup and I was like, okay, I gotta win game one, right? Gotta win game one. Mulligan to five, easily lose. My opponent's hand was great. And I'm like, shit, this isn't good. Let me go to game two. I mulligan to five again. And managed to sneak it out because my opponent, despite keeping seven, did not draw a creature for the entire game. It's hard to win when that happens. <laughs> did not put one into their graveyard. They channeled Takanuma, did not bring anything back. <laughs> so fortunate there to escape on that mulligan to five. And then I managed to win game three. Um... So now I'm 3-2. I escaped that matchup. Round 6, I'm paired against Cedric Phillips, who I know is playing Monogreen. I'm like, okay, first Monogreen matchup, but, you know, Cedric's a strong player. I obliterate him in two games. I had a very strong draw in game 1, and then game 2, uh, he kept a one-land Oath Elf hand. Missed his second land drop. I killed his Elf. So, easy game. Um, so now I'm 4-2, and... I get paired against a Tarka Red, which I generally feel good with Phoenix against small creature decks. 
But uh, I mulligan. I mulligan handed game one that just doesn't have interaction. Uh, it was just like a solid cantrip shredder hand. And then in game two or in my six, once again, don't have interaction. It's basically the same hand. And so I'm like, well, I've got to keep it on six and hope to find some. And I fall behind a little bit. My opponent has a great draw of turn one Swift Spear, turn two Double Burning Tree, Karizev, turn three Atarkas Command. Jesus. Yeah, I managed to stabilize this this board and was about to completely stabilize it. And he rips the second Atarkas Command to kill me. Um, and then that again happened in game two. Although in game two, it was Red Man I was struggling to find. I mulliganed again and like kept a cantrip hand that had removal but only blue mana. Took me a couple turns to find Red. Uh, they only had one Burning Tree Emissary this time, but otherwise the same. Swift Spirit to Burning Tree Karizev to Command. Uh, and they managed to rip second Command the turn before I was going to literally kill them with a, a Thing in the Ice and some Phoenixes and, and stuff like that. So, a little frustrated there. Felt like my opponent got uh, a little bit lucky. Um, but I'm, And I'm X3 now, and I need to win the last one. Uh, get paired against Grease Fang. What a great matchup. Uh, I won it pretty easily. Um, so that was nice. And I entered day two at six, three. Um, now I will say they, uh, they originally announced a 12 round tournament, nine rounds, day one to three rounds, day two, which is ludicrous for the amount of people they had. And so they quickly reneged on that. We're like, okay, we're going to run 13. Still not enough. They should be run. They should have been running at least 14, probably 15. Um, but I did the math and I realized that. I can't top eight at this point. You needed to be X two, but if I X three, I should be in the in the top forty eight, right? Uh, X three was a lock, so I'm like, okay, I got to show up and four zero the next day. And round one, I was paired against Mono Red. Uh, I think a great matchup, and they were like a slower Mono Red build. Um, but once again, like mulligan to hand that I had to mulligan knowing the matchup got kind of run over um, and then had two good draws in the post-board games, won pretty easily. So I was a little nervous there. If I had taken my fourth loss to Monterey to start that day, it would have been tough. Um, then I get paired against uh, Mono Green. Um, I don't remember much about that matchup. I think I won in three games. Um, but I don't know, just like typical Mono Green stuff. And then um, round, oh no, that was the one where he had the awesome game one. Yeah. Game one, I mulligan a hand that on the draw couldn't interact with an elf. And my opponent has turn one elf, turn two, old growth troll, turn three, Nykthos Cavalier on the play. You're not beating that. Oh, I won. Oh, you're great. <laughs> this game devolved. I like found enough axes. I had to axe the, the troll and the token. My opponent flooded a bit, and so they're just, like, animating a lair and, like, getting in there with all their creatures, trying to sneak over the end line. And I'm like, axe that, chump block with phoenixes, next turn, cantrip, 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 return phoenixes, chump block again, axe that, you know, barely staying alive. At one point, I shocked myself with the steam vents to go to exactly one, you know, and, and this guy did not leave a point on the table. He, he played the game well and managed to, like stall long enough to where I found my one thing in the ice and like went thing returned some phoenixes then next turn just like transformed it and killed him with a with a time walk um and I just like couldn't believe I won that game like on turn three I'm like oh I'm dead I'm down a game but like you know your post board's good against them whatever but I won that game lost game two won game three on the play um 
The next round was against Azorius Control. I don't under, really understand how people ever win with Azorius Control and Pioneer. The same, deck looks same. terrible to me, but it always posts a reasonable win rate. Every tournament. It's like 53% every time. And like somebody does well with it. Every time. I don't understand. But uh, I I win game one, um, you know, which I and I think is a very, uh, your very favorite game one. And then um, game two, we like uh, get, we like trade a bunch of resources and we're both pretty low handed and he draws a Teferi and runs away with it. He had a castle going too. So like he was probably going to win the top deck war. I was going to have to get lucky. Uh, didn't. And then in game three, I mulligan to five. And I was like, no, you can't end like this. I'm like two rounds away playing against what I think is a good matchup and mulligan to five in game three. And I somehow like I just ran him out of resources and landed a crackling Drake and it killed him because crackling Drake is the best card ever printed. It, it has the alternate text that we always talk about. It has suspend one. You win the game. Yeah. My opponent's over there complaining about how flooded he was. And I'm just looking down and I'm like, I think I have one fewer land than you right now. And I'm mulligan to five and I only play 19. <laughs> so I don't know what you're complaining about. I think he cycled a couple triumphs too. So he did get a little bit flooded. Uh, you know, I'll give him that. But like he had, he had rest in peace and play in, in games two and three. It was a little late game three. I'd already cruised and returned to Phoenix. So his rest in peace was not very good in game three. Um, but he had, he had rest in peace, I guess, in the game he won. Um, though I still cast a treasure cruise for eight mana in that game. <laughs> But uh, I was feeling great after the the win there to beat uh, win on a mold of five, and then my, like I mentioned earlier, my last round is against Mono Green again, and my opponent mulligan to five in game one, mulligan to six in game two. Both my draws were great, uh, and I just rolled. Uh, so that was nice to get my my like one easy match. That that was my one match that didn't go to game three on day two. So I played nine nine game threes on the weekend, uh, which was a little bit high. I also only went three ten in die rolls. The weekend. I know everybody was talking about a pioneer, so play draw dependent. I did lose a lot of game ones, so maybe that's evidence for. Um, but you know, overall, like felt pretty reasonable. Like I, I obviously got a little lucky to go two zero against Rakdos, but I went three zero against Mono Green. I went zero two in the mirror, so you can say I'm a little unlucky there. And I went you know x two against the rest of the field, and I think that's one of the reasons I like Phoenix over Rakdos and Green is I think Phoenix is better against that collection of tier two decks on the whole than Rakdos and Green are. Like, you know, Rakdos and Green both have really bad matchups in there, and Phoenix really doesn't. It's reasonable against all of them, against Spirits, against Control, against uh, Model White is a very good matchup for, for Phoenix uh, humans, against, you know, Fires, against, um, you know, the... I don't know, a, t- a Tarka Red, Angels. Everybody says Angels is really good against Phoenix. I guess I've only played the matchup once, so I don't know. But. It depends on how you It depends on how you play it. Yeah. Uh, I think it comes down to, if you have Brotherhood's ends, you have to board them in, even though it feels like it doesn't actually do anything in the matchup because everything's like got big butts. But like you have to you have to get a good Galvanic iteration off in the matchup, either copying a Lightning Axe or copying a Brotherhood's end, doing some kind of sweeper. Uh, you also can win the games where like they have a little bit of a slower draw, and you have, like, a really fast, like, Phoenix or double Phoenix draw. And then if you can interact with, like, if, if they're relying on Coco. Like, if you can interact with Coco or something. Or you can get in a point where, like, you can just counterspell one of their spells. You know, they don't have a lot of stuff that Disdainful Stroke hits, though, is, is, is a big problem. Which is a big card for you in a lot of spots. Yeah. So, I feel like I played against a pretty good spread. A pretty representative spread of, of what showed up. And the deck performed, you know, as advertised. I also played a, like a lot of 
interesting games. I made a lot of close, interesting decisions. Like it was a good tournament. I know, but I think the I think the reason people don't like Pioneer very much is that it's a very difficult format to gain a significant edge in. I agree with that. Like my deck, my deck is very stock for Phoenix. The main thing that I do differently that other people don't do is I don't have any Pyromancers in my sideboard, like Pyromancer or Iconoclast, and I have more things. Most people have one thing main and zero to one on the board. I have two in the board, and I don't have any Pyromancers. Like, other than that, I'm doing basically the same thing everyone else is doing. Uh, I don't think a lot of players enjoy that. I think they'd like to be able to like tinker with their lists a little bit more and feel like they're giving themselves an edge, even if they really aren't. Um, and Pioneer really like punishes you for that. Like, Just play the play the good decks and don't fuck it up. Yeah. And like, honestly, you know, if you look at the results of the tournament, like this was a diverse event, you know, mono green didn't make the top eight. And a lot of people talked about that. Like, Oh, it's, it's not what we thought it was going to be. But if you really look at it, like there was a ton of mono green in the top 16. Like there was a lot of people that were like one went like there's four between uh eight and 16. And so they're, they were very close. Mono Green did show up, did really well in the hands of a lot of people, got a lot of people qualified for the Pro Tour. It just happened to not top eight this tournament. Is Green dead? No. The deck is still very good. Still probably technically, quote-unquote, like the best deck in the format until something changes. But so diversity was definitely shown in the two events from DreamHack this weekend, that one and the 10K. It was a 10K or 15K? 10K. It was a 10K. You know, it was, was uh, The 10K was maybe just a tiny bit less diverse, but you still saw a decent bit of decks. You know, like you still saw Kruger Fires do well. You know, Rakdos Midrange is all over the place. Mono Green, Mono White. Uh, Azorius Control, like, randomly put two people in the top 16 in that tournament yeah, as well. Always does well. I don't angels. understand. Yeah, you saw a little less Angels there as well. We would have seen another <laughs> Angels deck do well if there wasn't an unfortunate incident that happened in the tournament. We're not going to go into that. But there was another Angels player that had an absurdly good record at the event as well. And uh, I got to say this. I feel a lot better about Pioneer after this event than I did before. I think this is the same thing Pioneer has been. It's just not what people like. People don't actually like diverse metagames. They like metagames where they feel like they have an edge. <laughs> and and Pioneer is... agency. Yeah, they yeah, really, and, really want agency. Yeah. Well, I mean, you, you do have agency in, in terms of your deck choice. Like, you know... You, you know what I mean. That you want to feel, they yeah. want to feel like if they, if they did something smart, they get maximally rewarded by it. Yeah. And this is a format that does, you know, you can win with, with the Tier 2 decks. I, I think... Some I think Fire Shoes posted the you know um, the archetype breakdown of the combined top eights from the three RCs this weekend because it was Europe, Brazil, and uh, the US. And if you look at those twenty four decks, yeah, it's like Phoenix and Rakdos and Monogreen at the top, and then there's just like one copy of every single tier two deck. You know, if it didn't top eight here, it top eight it somewhere else. You know, there was a Spirits player that made it. There was one Angels player. There was one Fires player. There was a Control person. So they're all, like, roughly similar. There's a clear delineation between Tier 1 and Tier 2. And I think the Tier 2 decks have very defined matchups uh, against those Tier 1. And, uh, you know, personally, I would say it was better to play one of those Tier 2 decks that was good against Green and weaker against Rakdos this weekend. Rakdos was a little underrepresented, Green a little over. Um, so something more like mono blue spirits, but that will change over time. You know, I suspect that the ensuing RCs that are going to happen over the next couple weeks and, you know, the online metagame will shift away from Rakdos more and, um, you know, w and green will continue to get targeted, but that's only going to then allow Rakdos to return. So 
you're going to see a rise in humans doing well in these other tournaments and, you know, spirits and um, what's the other one that's really good against against green? I, I don't know. Well, one of the other ones. But yeah, one thing that I did, I did hear a lot about this weekend is, you know, a decent people played red, black mid range and Rakdos mid range misplaced ginger dot deck. And I know a lot of people had the same opinion I did. And these are people, when I say this, I don't mean just random people. I mean, people that did very well in the tournament. Like Eli Loveman talked to me about this on and off camera quite a bit. A lot of people who were like platinum pros, MPL members, pro tour champions were like, dude, this deck is not actually good. Like, yeah, you win games with it, but it doesn't actually like, they thought like, I've, I heard from like, it's worse than people think it is to the point of like, some people were like, I think it's actually like pretty unplayable with the fact of like, it's power level isn't as good as the other ones when you play against good players who are going to you know, mulligan correctly or whatever, blah, blah, blah. But with the printing of, let me make sure I get the card exactly correct. I always say the one of the names wrong. Um, the, the new shade. Misery Shadow. shadow. Yeah, I always want to call it Death Shadow, obviously. But with Misery Shadow adding to the deck, uh, I've always kind of hated Kalidus. The card is just like kind of slow and unimpactful when it first comes into play a lot of the time. You get, you get what I'm trying to say here. Like, I think Sheholder is a little more impactful right away. Uh, Kalidus is a little slow. It like clunks up your deck a little bit. Like, I almost never found spots that just jam it on four, and then, like, I wanted to be able to, like, save a removal spell to play it, plus play the removal spell in the turn, and that's, like, requires a lot of mana, which, like, you're pitching your extra lands to Fable a lot. But Misery Shadow being another aggressive two-drop that also somehow affects the game, and the fact that, like, you can play this on two, and then if your opponent plays a troll, or plays, you know, a Cavalier or something like that, and you can trade a Dreadbore for that, and have it be a positive interaction is huge. Not to mention the fact, this thing just gets people dead. It's another aggressive two-drop, because the car, you know, the deck used to play tons of um, blood-type harvester, right? You know, it still plays four of them. And I always joked that if they were allowed to, I think they'd play, like, six in that deck, just to have more aggressive two-drops. Yeah, it's a much more deck aggressive can, deck than people think. Yeah, it, that, I was just about to say this. The deck can be much more aggressive than people think, and it's it's. I found that... As much as people make fun of that card, I found that almost every time I went when testing, when I would win with this deck, is like I just had that on turn two and just got to attack with it like three times. Because then I started to pressure their life total amongst other things, along with Fable and stuff like that too. So, and then not to mention, just having Misery Shadow, it's so hard to block. That card is practically unblockable. Yeah. Like, I, I think that's where average Rakdos pilots get themselves into trouble. Uh, is not being aggressive enough with the deck. And, uh, you know, assuming that they're the deck that's going to have inevitability and have a strong late game because they're like this attrition-oriented mid-range deck. Uh, but their deck doesn't actually have a ton of card advantage. What they actually have is the, a similar late game to aggressive decks. They have a lot of utility lands, uh, you know, creature lands that continue to apply pressure. And they have a good amount of card filtering so that they can prevent flood, but they don't have these like haymaker threats that can take over a long game because those threats are just too clunky in a lot of matchups. So, you know, it, when they, if you try to play it too, play too much for the long game with Rakdos and you're playing against better players who are able to maximize their spells more, uh, you know, consistently and maximize the value they get from their, spell, their spells more consistently than weaker players, you just end up losing games that you feel like, oh, I put myself in a spot where I usually win, but my opponent had enough back to, to compete in this long game. Like, I'm playing Phoenix against Rakdos. I feel good when the game goes long. I, yeah, I, I board I against them like they're an aggro deck. I bring in all of my removal. I bring out all my counter spells. I bring out the, the combo cards because they're good at breaking up the combo. And I just say, you know what? I know you have a bunch of graveyard trespassers and go blanks, but if you give me enough time, I'm going to resolve a treasure cruise. <laughs> like, it might yeah, cost me six mana, better. but I'm going to resolve it. 
Yeah, your top decks are just more powerful in general. Like, yeah. In general, like yeah. you know, you have these huge like iteration turns, or you know, you you can you can just like, oops, I win out of nowhere. Where you're like, well, yeah, like as long as I don't get to the point where like I just can't function anymore. Like you've go blanked me multiple times or whatever, blah blah blah. Like you could just have this huge iteration turn where you're like, oh, I'm just gonna take two turns. I'm gonna time stretch here. Yeah. Or, you know, I'm going to draw six cards this turn, or I'm going to kill both of your things. And you can answer Sheholdred pretty easily with your deck. You know, sometimes you have to two-for-one yourself if you don't have an axe. But, like, this is something your deck can do. And that's, like, their big thing is, like, a lot of the decks don't answer Sheholdred very, you know, great when doing all this other stuff. And you can. Like, you have shocks to go into lightning axes while also providing pressure, while other decks, their stuff doesn't always line up correctly. They can't pressure plus answer the creatures correctly on both ends from black red. So like, I actually think like as long as everything doesn't go wrong for you, I, I would rather be on the Phoenix side of the matchup. Um, I, I don't know if I would go that far. Okay. Maybe um, that's too far. It's yeah. I said, I was like, that feels kind of wrong, but like, I think it's closer to 50, 50 than people think I, it is. Like, I, I feel like a slight favorite in the post board games, but I think you're a pretty big dog in game one. That's probably what it is for yeah. me is like, I have played a lot of post board games because why am I testing more game ones? This feels dumb. I'd rather, I'd rather. Yeah. Game one, you know, you don't have as much removal. They, you have these cards that end up being poor top decks, like temporal trespass, um, because you're just not able to, to set things, uh, set those things up. But, you know, post board, you just like cut all that chaff and have more removal so that you're able to keep the pressure off of you. Do do you know what the matchups are that Rakdos can comfortably play for the long game? What's that? It's the matchups where bone crusher giant is consistently a two for one. The matchups where you're resolving Stomp and trading Stomp for a card, now you have enough card advantage in your deck that you can control the long game. But mm-hmm. there just aren't a ton of those decks because, um, and I should actually, I should say specifically Bone Crusher Giant is a two for one because Stomp is relevant against Mono Green, but the four three actually isn't. So, yeah, she, she uh, not, so you're yeah. still not really getting a two for one because it has no evasion and you're just not able to apply the pressure against them. Against Phoenix, like, yeah, sometimes you get to stomp a phoenix, and that's like the best you can hope for. You know, best you can hope for is stomping it with misery shadow or Kalidus on the battlefield. Play, yeah, yeah. Um, but you, you know, most players trim down or, or board. Yeah, I know ginger boards all of them out. Um, so, but like you know, against mono white, against the aggro decks, really, you know, that's where bone crusher giant is going to be good. But there's a lot of decks where bone crusher giant is really bad. The the meta game has adapted to that card uh pretty well. The, the same way it did in standard, but because in standard the uh, format, you know, the card pool isn't deep enough for you to find powerful options, enough powerful options to completely blank it. In Pioneer, it is. So, uh, yeah, I think there's pretty clear reasons why, why Rakdos struggled. I think it's a lot easier for a metagame to adapt to a deck like that than it is like Mono Green because Mono Green has so uh, much overt power that like there are just games where no matter what you do, like they're going to run you over if, if their draw is good enough and that they've just generated such each mana advantage. And now of course they've got that toolbox w- with Karn and then, you know, Phoenix has treasure cruise. It has, you know, time stretch combos that it sets up. You have turns like the one I talked about against Rakdos where I killed three creatures and returned two Phoenixes to the battlefield. And I'm like that was turn five. <laughs> I plague winded my opponent and made two free recursive snare thopters <laughs> with that, that didn't cost me a card yeah they were they were free in both mana and uh, and cards so like that's just so much card and tempo advantage all, all at once R- Rakdos just isn't able to do things like that agreed 
And I think what like this is all leading to and kind of the things we've been like overarchingly talking about here is how we feel about Pioneer after the RC. And I got to say this, I'm a, I'm a, it's in a better headspace for me than it was before being a little bit more of an open, you know, deck format than I thought it would be. I'm like less in the camp of like something needs to change though. Like I'm still okay if they want to like hurt mono green a tiny bit or just take Karn out of the format yeah. altogether. I, I, would, I would be very happy with a Karn ban because I think the mono green deck would still exist. I, you know, it would get more aggressive. It would, and that would make it easier to contain. Um, you know, I don't like a deck that has that kind of raw power in terms of mana generation, also having flexibility in terms of what strategy it employs. Cause that, that is a deck that can play a long game because all like you, you need to interact with it. It, it's proactive game forces you to interact, and then the fact that Old Girl Troll and Cavalier and Planeswalkers are so difficult to interact with is annoying. It's you know if you remember like Mono Green Devotion and Standard, you know they're casting Corsair Crufix and Pelucanos, so when you wrath them, it really hurt them. <laughs> the wraths don't actually hurt them all that much these days uh, with, with the tools that they have access to in Pioneers. So getting rid of Karn takes a lot of that strategic and tactical flexibility away from them. Uh, and limits what they're able to do with their mana generation. And so they could go, they could like cut Old Girl Troll for, you know, something else that's not as explosive that maybe helps them get some more flexibility somewhere else. Or you could go for the hardcore, like all in a devotion plan. And I like that dichotomy existing. Right now, it seems like they just get to have their cake and eat it too. Yeah. And like, it actually takes away from part of the game. All these decks that have Karn in their deck, they just like don't have a sideboard. Yeah, and it like takes away a part of the game of like actually sideboarding and playing post game matches. Instead, you're just like, all right, well, here's my seventy five again, or whatever. yeah, here's not, my deck again. Not, not a fan. So I, I, I could, I, I used to be on the camp of like we just need to ban Nyctos, but I know they won't because it was an RCQ promo last season. Um, I'm now in the camp that I'm not sure we need to ban Nyctos. I think banning Karn w- would be enough. And that said, like I'm kind of interested to see what happens moving forward. I, I know like Mono Green didn't have a great weekend because it was super targeted, but Rakdos is losing a lot of its reputation. Um, and so are we going to end up seeing a format where, like, is it Phoenix becomes the number one target? Because you can target this deck. Like, if people put a bunch of Deafening Silences and other cards in there, and, you know, there there's other options. Uh, but there's some haymakers people could play for Phoenix if they're less worried about their Rakdos and Mono Green matchups. Uh, that would really put a hurting on the, on this deck as well. So um, th- there's a lot of options the metagame could go into o- over the next few weeks, and and we do have high level pioneer still going on with the, the remaining uh, the remaining RCs. Like there's what eleven across the world, eleven or twelve, yeah, so- something like that. You yeah. you know it better than I and, do. And we had three, so uh, still still plenty of big ones. And you and you know that the Japan one's going to have some interesting deck lists. The Japanese always come out with with cool stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I can't wait to see what they do. They're going to do some weird stuff. They always, you know... Yeah, there's always a lot more brewing in Japanese tournaments than there is over here. Yeah, so I'm super excited for that. Um, Now, we do have uh, a couple of mailbag uh, submissions. One that has been here for a while and we just kind of missed and I kind of forgot to answer, so I apologize. Kofuria, it says, uh, what would your... What would the World Championship slash Giant Celebration look like if you were in charge? Think Magic 30, Fab World Championship, etc. Do they mean the tournament itself or, like, the event surrounding it? Yes. Um... I, I've always wanted to have a. I've always preferred to have a world championship where like that's the main focus. From the people that I've talked to for, at Magic Thirty, it like didn't actually feel like the world championships was the focus of that event. Like they were there, it was just a, one thing among many. But there were a lot of other events and, and other stuff going on. Um, 
if it's the world championships of the game, like I want that to be the focus of the weekend. Um, so I, I would make sure that was the case. Um, and I, I would prioritize making coverage as good as possible. Like I, I think they should, you know, I, th- I think they should treat it a, a little bit like what they did with, I don't, I didn't, I guess I, I watched a good amount of it, but I remember like doing the players championships or SCG and they interviewed all of us the, the day before, you know, the, the, the PCs, if you remember them were Saturday, Sunday, we would get in Thursday evening and Friday was media day and we would have our deck lists in Thursday night. They'd have all every, all the graphics done. I think deck lists were actually Wednesday. So they made all the graphics Thursday, <coughs> excuse me. And then Friday, we're all there, and we're just in the store, uh, and they're doing interviews with us, taping interviews with our you know deckless graphics, talking about them, um, and uh, you know making all of that content to make coverage as good as possible. That's what I would like to see for for Worlds because you're not going to get all the people that want to to watch it over there, but this is something that you want eyeballs on, um, and uh, you know. I'm not necessarily talking strictly from a business standpoint. This is me as a fan of magic standpoint. So I want the, I want some spectacle. I want, you know, um, but I also want like in-depth, um, you know, interviews with the, the best players in the world. Like what are, what are the, especially focusing on the decks and, you know, maybe feature pieces on, you know, interesting paths to the tournament, different narratives. Like I, I want all of that surrounding it. It doesn't feel like they did a, a great job of bulking that aspect up because this was just one event among many in this big magic 30 thing. Yeah. Yeah. I can, I can see that for me. Um, I'd like to make it a little bit more of a spectacle at the big things. And I'd have uh, like, I don't mind extra stuff going on around it, but it should be focused on the main event. Kind of like what Ross said, but, I'd like to see like viewing areas come back quite a bit. Like they, that we had at the original pro tours. There's so many more people at these events. Now they're open to the public, you know, back in the day of the pro tour, you know, we wouldn't always have, you know, a bunch of people there uh, and stuff like that. And I really want to see like the viewership part of it coming. Like we're never going to have what other esports do. You know, it was really cool to walk around DreamHack and see people watching people play games and like cheering and going nuts for big stuff. But, like, in my mind, I've always envisioned, like, having the viewing area, you know, obviously, away from the players, so you can't, inter- you know, intervene with the match. But, like, you know, seats with something like projected up on the wall, maybe, like, some big screens or whatever, however you do it, right? Projector is the best way. Just project something up onto the wall or whatever. And people can watch it. They can, like, maybe even hear the commentary. And then you can have fun with it, too. Like, you could have a Watsi representative or one of us coverage people walk over there, talk to some people, say some stuff in between rounds. Maybe we can have a mic out, you know ask random questions, do stupid stuff, throw packs to people, you know, just have fun with it. Like make it an actual spectacle when it comes to these big events. Cause like a lot of these people are really big fans of the game, right? Not just the competitors. And we travel all over the globe to play this game. You know, you travel a long way to go to like magic 30 or whatever you get there. And it's purely something for you to play a tournament at and to monetize you. That's literally all it is. And I would like to see, People remember, people in charge or what we're doing, remember that this is about the gathering. This is something fun that we can do as a community and come together and make it about that as well. Like tying in the actual community aspect of it a little bit more because I just think we do a very bad job of that. Yeah. And if you talk to, you know, us as high level competitive players, you know, I I mentioned earlier that, you know, a lot of the, the X3s in this RC 
intentionally drew to lock up their Protor invite, giving up, you know, potential equity in terms of money. You know, it was a $975 difference if you drew yourself out of the top 32. And so it's clear that, like, we're not playing for money. The things that we value are the stories, the experiences, the, the cool stuff, like getting, you know, getting your own token when you win an SG Invitational. If you win Worlds, you get to be on a magic card. Like, that's awesome. That's the thing that you that you know you'll carry with you the rest of your life. Those are the things that we value most. Those experiences and stories and mementos. So when you have a big tournament like this, whether it's Worlds or any other you know small invite only tournament, you should. It, it doesn't take a lot to create those memories and give the players that kind of experience that they're always going to remember. You know, m- make them feel a little bit like rock stars. And, yeah. you know, yeah. we don't do that. Walk yeah. out onto a stage when they're playing their match, have the people viewing, have the crowd cheering, you know, get, give them that. that. That's as much for the players as, as it is for the viewers. So uh, that's something that I, I would definitely focus on and work hard to achieve if I was running events like this. Because that not only not only does it make a good fan experience, but it also means all the players are going to be like, this is a tournament you want to qualify for. You know, this was really awesome. I can't wait to, to go back at it. You know, a, a lot of times over the years back at, you know, when I was playing Pro Tours regularly and there were, you know, there's always these testing houses. When there was a new guy in the house, at the end of the weekend, they were always like, you know, regardless of how well they did, they're like being in a testing house with everyone was awesome. I want to do that again. That was my favorite part of it. I don't care. You know, reg- you know, it wasn't the tournament. It was those days where you're just nine a.m. to midnight, focused only on magic, and you're with a bunch of like-minded people trying to figure things out. Uh, you know, testing new decks, testing new sideboard strategies, and soaking it all in. So. That you know, it's it, give the give us more opportunities for those kinds of unique experiences and memories that we can you know decades after we're done playing Magic competitively, we can look back on fondly because there's always going to be tournaments you do well in and tournaments you do poorly in. Like that, that's the nature of the game. But the you can and you can't control that as a TO or as as Watsi, but you can control all the things around it. Yeah, absolutely. Very well said. All right. There was another question. This is from Raven Christ. He says, uh, what was one time that you had a fundamental or what was one time that you had a fundamental incorrect idea about a format? And you can kind of interpret this to whatever way you want. Um, I'm trying to think of when I had like a fundamentally wrong idea that like for me, it's been like limited formats. Like I, I can think of one where I drafted call time a bunch, like a bunch, a bunch. And I was just like, man, why why do people draft like decks other than like the four or five color deck, you know, which is like, you know, cause you have all the dual lands. They're great. Snow is good. Like it just makes sense. And then towards the end of the, the format or even towards the middle of it, when like it started getting important, I started realizing that wasn't even the best deck you could draft that like the aggro deck was just absurd because like, if you played like a one drop into two drop against the snow decks with like anything behind, like run amok was just the best card in the set pretty much. And it was just a common, you know, giant growth like card. And it would just destroy people. And, like, I had decks of, like, four of them in there. And I'm like, yeah, my deck's unbeatable, you know? And I would just crush drafts. So I had a fundamental misunderstanding of, like, what that draft format was, like, actually about. It was like, yeah, you could do all these cool, powerful things. But really, the best thing to do was just get your opponent dead as fast as possible. That's one that popped into my head right away. What about you? Um, It's a hard question to answer. It because like, hard, yeah. it's It's hard to know when you're wrong because it was something that you didn't understand. So, like, how yeah. am I supposed to tell you how I was wrong? 
Like I've definitely had formats with that. I, I just didn't have a firm grasp on, but I couldn't tell you exactly how I was wrong. You know, I wasn't very good at battle for Zendikar limited. Uh, and, but I, and I still don't really know because I like, I would watch people draft X. I thought I knew what cards were good, but like, I just, it just never came together for me. Um, so this new set for me, you would, I have no idea yeah, what's going on. You, you would probably have to talk to like other people that I was testing with for tournaments, and they would probably tell you like where they thought I was wrong. But I just point out where I can't, you messed I can't up. do yeah. it. Yeah, I, I think this is a question we might need to revisit too after we have a little more time. Yeah, to think about and and talk about. So sorry, Revan, if it, like you were looking for a better answer. Uh, <laughs> I, I I read this one like while I was while you were answering the sec- the first question, I was like, oh, this is a good question, and I don't know what to say. So. Um, but yeah, I think that's going to do it for uh, this week's episode. Make sure you check out our episode uh, next week. We'll probably get you prepared for whatever event you got coming up for next. And uh, I'm really looking forward to it, Ross. It's uh, It's been a while since we've gotten to have like a really good, uh, you know, back to back to back to back week episodes because we've been traveling and stuff like crazy. But I think I'm pretty much done with that for the year. So it should be easier. I mean, I know you've got to go home at least once, right? I've got, uh, I've got two more travel weekends this year. So I'm off this weekend. The following weekend, I am doing commentary with Todd at Apex Gaming again. Mm-hmm. Um, the tournament is Sunday, though. So I think we'll be doing our, our Apex Gauntlet on Saturday. I haven't talked to him to hash out the details, but they're doing a 1K uh, qualifier that is also a destination RCQ. Um, so if you're in the area of Southeast Ohio, you should definitely try to make it to that. It's modern. Um, so we'll probably talk a little bit about modern next week as I'm preparing to cover that tournament. Sure. Um, and then the weekend after that, I'll be going to the uh, last energy of the year, my first ever energy event. They're doing a showdown, which is a 15K in Louisville. Uh, and uh, Elliot is uh, Elliot Raff is judging, so he's already driving there. Um, we'll have a we'll have a wild Corey Baumeister in tow, um, at least half of the time. He's flying one of the legs because he ended eight qualifying miles short of status on whatever. I think he's Delta, sure. um, so he's like, yeah, I'll just spend a few hundred dollars on a one way uh, and go to this tournament and then ride with us the other half. I can't remember which half he's flying, but uh, we'll we'll have Corey with us and. Uh, yeah, I'll be playing that. So I'm modern for the rest of the year. Just got those two events, um, you know, one commentary and one and one uh, playing. So we'll probably check back in with modern next week, see what's going on there, see if people have, you know, figured out that Breach is busted yet. It doesn't seem like they have. I don't really get it. They just don't want to believe it. I've, I've tried so hard. I've tried so hard, Tannen. I'm, I'm aware. Hey, man, just keep just keep racking up the wins and uh, just show them, all right? That, that's the plan. If people won't believe you, show them. Yeah. You know, so... All right, that'll be it for this week's episode. Thanks for listening, and we'll check you all out on the next one.